0: The Gospel reading for this morning is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Yeah, and beside all this, it's now the third day since this has happened. And some of our women came with an amazing story. They were at the tomb early and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into glory? And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going to go on further. But they argued with him, urging him strongly, saying, you should stay with us. It's almost evening, and the day is almost over. So Jesus consented to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus, and then he vanished from their sight and they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he was opening the scripture to us and they got up at that very time and returned to jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered and he said to them and they said to them the lord has indeed risen they told him he has appeared to simon and then they told the disciples what had happened on the road and how jesus was shown to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks thanks, be to to God. God. So we want to take a look at this little episode here. This, let me, uh, hang on. Too many things to keep track of. Heard my, there it is, oh my goodness, okay, (laughs) sorry about that, I'm, uh... oh, I've only been doing this thing for, you know, four weeks, you'd think I'd be able to get it by now, so uh, I want to talk for, just for a few minutes about this little episode on the road to Emmaus, and there's a, just a couple of things that, for me, make a big difference. Uh, the first thing that, that I would share with you is how, over the years, as I have read the scriptures uh, more, more with an eye to real-life events, things that are re- real, really happen to real people, It's kind of come alive to me and it's lots of little details that you can dig out of the scriptures that help you help you see this as a real thing that happened to real people, because when when you read it that way, it really involves you in what Jesus has done in the world and for you. because it's it's, it's kind of easy to distance ourselves from these stories a little bit, because we, we kind of holy the Bible, and we make it into a holy book, and, and we, we print it, you know, print the gold cover, and we make it giant, and it creaks when you open and everything, and it's, whew, you dust off the holy book and read the sacred stories. And they are sacred, don't get me wrong. I, I am not saying they're not sacred stories, but they're also like, things that actually happened. People sat down and ate and they walked and their feet got dirty and they missed each other when they said goodbye and they wondered if they'd see each other again. And uh, and sometimes disease swept through the area uh, and sometimes bad things happened to good people and uh, grief was real and fear was real, just like now as then. And <clears throat> one of the things that I came across just a couple of years ago, and I don't know why it never occurred to me before, but it's just a little humanizing moment in here. So you, you got um, you got these two disciples walking on the road, right? And and it turns out we know the name of one of them, and, and I'm going to have to share my screen again here for a moment. We know the name of one of them, and because it tells us, right? Then one of them named Cleopas answered, this is, Speaking to Jesus, whom he was kept from recognizing, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? So here's my question: Who was the other person walking on the road? Why did they not get mentioned? Is there some connection between Cleopas and the other person on the road? Why did they choose on that day? Uh, on that day, why did they choose to walk seven miles? So that's like to uh, three. That's about two and a quarter hours, right? Something like that. Why did they choose to walk back to Emmaus? And why were they walking together? Those kind of questions uh, uh, take the scripture to a different place, a different place for us. We, we see it as a real thing that happened to real people in real places and real times. And I think that with some careful reading, we can make a pretty educated guess as to who was with Cleopas. and the reason is because there's a person with a name very similar to Cleopas mentioned in John. And uh, John and Luke are are different. They were written at different times. Uh, We don't even know for sure if John and Luke ever met uh, because they they were in very different places at very different times. And so one of the things that happens uh, is that people are, writing these stories down but remember there's almost nothing written there are there are very few things ever written even though, even though a lot of people were literate because they especially the Jews if they were raised going to Hebrew school they would at least know how to read a little bit and stuff like that but there's no paper it's 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 uh, parchment is expensive and so there's just not a reason to write a lot of things down. So most things are oral, and they go by the ear, and so the spelling of names can change. And so one of the things that you have to tease out, if you're studying the scriptures uh, with an eye toward the nuance in there, is you have to kind of tease out who is who sometimes because the spelling of na- spellings of names can change. And there's a person mentioned in John that has a very similar name. And his name is Clopas. Now, they're writing these 30 years later. Maybe John and Luke have never met. Luke, remember, wasn't actually a disciple of Jesus. He was a later follower of Jesus who was uh, um, researching everything, and he's interviewing people. And uh, so the idea that that someone could be Cleopas in Luke and Clopas in John is not not at all outside the realm of reasonable possibility, especially since it was a fairly small number of disciples, probably at this point, uh, and to have two names so similar would be a little bit uh, a little unusual. So where do we see Clopas in John? Well, it's not actually Clopas we see; it's his wife. Remember, one of the things about the 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 gospel writing and and about uh, Jesus also is the one of the things that Jesus, the way he moved through the world, is with a sense of equality between men and women, which is very unusual. And one of the things that marks the, the Gospels as uh, realistic accounts of what really happened is so often the men are portrayed poorly and the women are portrayed well. And that's just not what a bunch of guys trying to write a story about something that ever actually happened would write. So that's a kind of a thing. But here in John, we see that the Mary, the wife of Clopas, was one of the women who did not abandon Jesus. They were standing there at the cross, being with him in his death, when so many other people had abandoned Jesus. So here in John 19, 25, it says, standing by the cross, were Jesus, by the cross of Jesus, were his mother, we know, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's Mary, the wife of Clopas. So who are these two disciples of Jesus who have decided after all these crazy events to walk home? I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't mean to say walk home yet. Where do you think they were walking? They, I, I believe strongly that this was Mary and Clopas. Mary and Cleopas walking home. They were in Jerusalem. Jesus has died. They were locked. They got some stories for some people, and they decided they've been away from home for since when? Since for a week maybe, for five, six days? You know, they just want to go home. So home is seven miles away. It's two-and-a-quarter-hour walk. That's, a, that's a, um, you know, a quarter of a day, half a day's walk kind of. So they just decided to walk home. They're on their way home, and Jesus appears to them. And so they start questioning Jesus. And uh, then he is re- he's made known in the breaking of the bread, which I think is also interesting, but that's not what we're talking about today. So this, just this little thing, this little thing, instead of a holy book where two, two disciples are walking home, probably holding their hands like this while they walk, and their heads down in silent meditation, we have a husband and wife walking home, because they've been in Jerusalem for Passover and everything and it's all done. They even got this, this story from the the ladies about seeing Jesus and they decide it's just, it's time to go home. Who knows? Maybe they got kids. Um, And they're walking along and talking and then up comes Jesus to talk to this married couple going home. And I just think it's a sweet little scene and I think it's so different. I I think it's so real. And so like it, 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 it allows me personally anyways to find the emotion in the story are you the only person who doesn't know what has happened so <clears throat> when Jesus was crucified when Jesus was crucified it seemed like the end and, and I was I was um I was perusing the internet as many of us have done for many a day uh, as we're all cooped up right <clears throat> And uh, what I, I saw a sign that I thought was pretty reflective of the Saturday after Easter. And it might end up being something that can apply to our lives, too. This is the sign. End of trail. End of the trail. This is where the – it doesn't mean that's where the walking ends. It doesn't mean that's where the forest ends. It doesn't mean that's where you turn around and go back, necessarily – it just means this is the end of the place that you know. This is the end of the place that's a well-marked path. It's been trodden by others, and you can pretty well predict where it's going to go. There are there are guideposts for you to follow. The end of the trail. It's marked. So I, when I was thinking about this sign, I was thinking, <laughs> well, in one way, in one way, we're kind of all at the end of the trail all the time. Uh, every day, you know, we all know intellectually, right? That every day is given to us and uh, we don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, there's, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the earth is overdue for a lot of disasters, asteroid strikes and Yellowstone exploding. And <laughs> there's all, there's all sorts of, if you, if, you, if you don't like hearing about that stuff, don't go look for it. Cause there's a hundred different ways the earth could be, could end in a moment. But, um, but intellectually, I mean, because we all know, we, we probably all have people in our lives, or at least know people who have people in their lives, who thought every day was going to be the same, and then something happened one day, one instant, one moment, one evening that changed the trajectory of your life. Maybe they died. Most of us know somebody who has, uh, has either uh, died very quickly and suddenly, or we know somebody who knows somebody who died very quickly and suddenly like in a car crash or something. Most of us know several people who at least know somebody who has gotten killed in an accident. And so intellectually, we know that every moment is the end of the trail, right? Every moment, at every present moment, the future is truly unexplored and not fully predictable. But I think we have to acknowledge in life that that, most of the times, it is pretty predictable, right? Most of the times, uh, the tr- it's even though intellectually, philosophically, it's the end of the trail. Realistically, for the common man, it's uh, every day is fairly well planable. Even the days that we plan not to plan and sort of embrace what happens and what comes, like my son and I did the other day, we just went out and did stuff for like five hours, and it turned out great. We learned about geocaching for the first time, and it was fun, and it never would have happened if we didn't embrace a whole series of um, things that we hadn't planned. But for most of us, on most days, the day goes relatively as planned. It's, it, it's intellectually the end of the trail, but it's not, we don't, we, we don't have to live like that, right? <clears throat> Even though we're always a little bit at the end of the trail, but but this, uh, the disciples really hit the end of the trail on uh, the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter. Um, they didn't know what was going to happen next. They had no idea. Well, they kind of thought they knew, actually. And then the women showed up with that story. And then Peter said he thought he'd seen Jesus, or didn't think. He didn't say think. <laughs> Peter saw Jesus. So they. They, they were kind of at the end of the trail. What do you do now? I mean, if you can put yourself back in their place, what do you do when your whole world is turned upside down because suddenly, suddenly you live in a universe where dead people come back to life, where your teacher is killed by the people who know killing best, the Romans, and then he appears again. It's the end of the trail. There, there's no marked path for how to proceed there. And we're kind of at the same place in a way. Uh, Certainly, there have been pandemics in previous generations. The Spanish flu is uh, a big one that's talked about lately. But each one's kind of different. And society, of course, is very different. Uh, The idea of social isolation in the age of Zoom is very different than the social isolation in uh, in, you know, 100 years ago. Uh, and uh, the idea, uh, the, the, it's just all different. It, it's all different. Uh, our, our knowledge about how things uh, progress and change and multiply and propagate disease vectors and stuff, that's all new. Uh, that's all new knowledge to deal with this new thing. And so really, I think one of the things we have to, we're grieving, I think we're grieving um, normalcy. I think we're, we're grieving, we, even though we intellectually know that every day is, is, uh, is, is, could change unexpectedly. Most days go as planned, and we're, we're kind of grieving that a little bit because we kind of really don't know. And every day we hear, if you watch the news or whatever, what you hear is we don't know. We might open up. We might not. Some things might open. Some things might not. This might be the end. We might have flattened the curve and be on our way. That's what we're hearing in Florida, right? The number of cases has gone down every week for the last four weeks, which is great. So maybe we did it. Maybe we flattened the curve. We all got together. And then we hear about the second wave of the Spanish flu and people, you know, didn't do what they were supposed to or whatever. And now is that going to be a thing? It's just the end of the trail. And it's kind of hard. It's hard to not know what's going on. It's hard to know It's 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 you know there's a lot of people who still don't like to sleep in a closet door open, and it's not because they don't know what's in the closet; it's just because a dark spot. Just like your mind, your mind fills voids. We don't like to not know; we like to know. And and so, uh, being told by everybody (laughs) that we just don't know some very big thing that has sort of shut down our economy, it's hard. It's very very and, and it's just sort of this low level. Um, thing that, that we're living with. So I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about the disciples, and then I'm thinking about Jesus, and Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow. You, you say, if you ask Jesus, what should I do with all my fear, what would he say? Well, we know, we know what he said. He said, fear not. <laughs> what? Is that, is that an answer? Is, is that is that helpful for you? If you're not, okay, <laughs> thanks Jesus, you make a great therapist. <laughs> I, I don't have the clip for me, but uh, I, I don't know if any of you ever watched the Bob Newhart show, uh, where he was, anybody, raise your hand if you watch Bob Newhart, ever. anybody? Okay, all right, so so here's a therapist, there's this great clip where somebody uh, comes in with some sort of um, obsessive compulsive thing, I can't remember what it was now, and I can't show it because I haven't been able to verify the sound's going to work at of time but but she kind of tells him and uh, and she goes on for a while and then she's like so what should i do and he says stop it <laughs> and she's like but he said no just stop it <laughs> hearing jesus say well fear not that's that sort of luckily jesus said a lot more than that he said don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Listen, you have today. You don't have tomorrow, so don't worry about tomorrow. So here's the thing. Here's the, here's the way I would, I would uh, want to start to think about all this that we're going through. When Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry, worry and dreaming are two sides of the same coin. Dreaming. Is using your imagination to imagine a positive future. Worry is using your imagination to paint a negative picture of the future. They're the same thing. And what I would suggest to you today is that your faith can change the way your imagination functions in your life. I listen all of us worry it's it's a normal thing it's a normal thing to be afraid uh, because because loss is real and loss really hurts it you know what um, it really uh, sometimes if like my whole family is driving away in the car and I'm home alone when they drive away in the car I'm like oh gosh I've, I missed them already what if they get a car accident or something and people do get in car accidents it's not it's not an, I mean it's an unreasonable fear to think it's likely but it's not unreasonable to think of it as a possibility, right? So <clears throat> we're, at the end of the, we're at the end of the trail here, and we're thinking about Jesus saying, don't worry. And we're thinking about the idea that worry is the negative side of using your imagination to picture a possible future, right? So what I would like to do, I'd like to put you in the room on Saturday with the disciples, after Jesus is crucified, and they're in the room, they're locked. It's a locked room. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders, and this is not an idle fear. The Jewish leaders have just orchestrated the death of Jesus, right? I mean, they arrested him on Thursday night, and by Friday at noon, he's hanging on a cross. They, are, they have power, and they're not afraid to use it to make sure this, well, in any case, all sorts of cases, but in this case, to make sure that Jesus thing gets squashed, because it's taking people away from their leadership and their power, and they're not afraid to take out people who are in their way. And so, in, in the span of probably about 16 hours, they orchestrate three trials, which, by the way, were illegal, Uh, and Jesus ends up on a cross. So when it says they were in a room locked for fear of the Jews, that's real. The the danger is real. So they're in the room, and picture yourself in the room with them, and your uh, teacher just got crucified by these people. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I know what I think is going to happen. What if we're next? So hiding is not a bad strategy, right? Hiding is not a bad strategy. The danger is real. But here's what I would suggest to you. And and, and before I say this, I want to acknowledge that fear is a useful emotion. It's a necessary emotion. It's not something we're going to get rid of. Fear is an emotional response to a Fear in its purest form is an emotional response to a dangerous situation that compels you to act. People who aren't afraid don't act when they're in danger, right? And sometimes they, they die. They should be afraid. So like if you're in the middle of the street and you hear an engine racing and the sound is coming toward you, you get afraid and that compels you to act. So I'm not speaking against fear as an emotion that compels you to act. What, I'm, what I would like you to think about is the way that your faith and the fear that is like, it's, fear is like your emotional nervous system. You know, if you put your hand on something hot, you pull it off, right? So if you're afraid, uh, you react. But fear, so danger can be real, but fear is based on the what you perceive in the circumstance. And the disciples were in the room, and it was locked. And I would like you to imagine one different piece, one different piece Of data one flip-flop one change in their worldview and they might still decide to stay in that room locked but it might change the emotion so you got the emotion of the disciples Jesus is dead what if what would that room be like what would be the atmosphere what would the atmosphere be like what would the mood be like if they knew Jesus was gonna be raised the next morning do you think that gathering would be the same if they knew Jesus was going to be raised? The, the answer is absolutely not. Remember, it didn't get called Good Friday until after Easter Sunday. Because on the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, it wasn't Good Friday. It was a horrible Friday. It was fear-filled Friday. It was It was the powers and principalities have destroyed our good teacher and killed him. Friday. It wasn't Good Friday until the resurrection, but that's where we live. We live after Easter Sunday. So if we could go back there and tell them that, uh, like Jesus tried to, they wouldn't be able to hear it, anyways. But if they could, it would be. It, they would be having a forty-eight hour party until Jesus came back, right? They, they wouldn't sl- I, I probably wouldn't even sleep. I'd be so excited. So the question is, how does faith? affect and change and mold the way we respond to fear in our lives when we hit the end of the trail like we've hit it now and the thing with faith the bible tells us faith is the the uh, assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things unseen so we have the resurrection of christ and that's the anchor for our faith that's the thing The thing that really anchors our faith is life after death because bad things do happen to good people. Horrible things happen. Painful things happen. Grief is real. Loss is real. Isolation is real. All of these things are real. But if we can view them through the lens of the resurrection, it will change the way we experience them. Paul talks about it. He says, Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. This is after people have been killed or died. He doesn't say don't grieve. Well, of course you grieve. You're emotionally bonded to someone and they're dead and gone and you're not going to see them for the rest of your life. You'd be odd to say the least if you didn't grieve. So Paul doesn't say don't grieve. He says don't grieve like those who have no hope. And therein lies, I think, the secret to experiencing the fear that we naturally experience, the loss that we naturally experience. Do not fear as those who have no hope. It is the end of the trail. We don't know what's going to happen. But don't don't walk past the end of the trail sign as those who have no hope. You don't know what's going to happen the next step and the next step and the next step. But Jesus was raised, so you know that in the, you don't know what the— you don't know how you're going through the rest of the forest. It's the end of the trail. But you know you're coming out of the forest. Don't wander through the forest like those who have no hope. Because those who have no hope, it's all about fear. It's all about, uh, uh, it's all about loss. Maybe preserving what was lost or trying to get it back. For those who have hope, we would experience the grief, the loss, the isolation. But there's also a sense in which it's an adventure. It's an adventure. Because we know the end. It's kind of like riding a roller coaster. If you rode a roller coaster without the safety bar, your fear would be justified, because you'd be in danger. But the truth is, in a roller coaster, you're not really in danger. And that's what makes it fun. And, and I, I don't want, and I'm not trying to uh, minimize the grief, loss, separation, isolation, the, the things that are painful in life. But I am telling you that in the end, whatever tunnel we're going through, whatever forest we're going through, we come out the other side and the resurrection is the proof of that and it changes everything. And so that should change the way we experience our fear, our isolation, our sense of loss and grief faith is the perspective of trust especially during difficult times and maybe this has had the cha- had the, this maybe this situation has brought that out it's an opportunity maybe for you to reflect on your own faith a little bit because it's easy to trust god when everything is going well that's part of the reason why it's hard for rich man to get into heaven as jesus says because They've got all the resources they need all the time. There's there's nothing to push on their faith. They don't really sense the end of the trail because they've got the resources already in hand to handle what they need to handle. So they don't experience the end of the trail where they have to be pushed on their faith. So there's a lot of things that are uncertain. We, We don't know about... Uh, we, don't, we don't know about the end of this and how it's going to change the way we go about our lives day to day. Um, I know a lot of us are worried about the the future of this congregation. Uh, I know there are some of us with friends and loved ones who are sick. Uh, so maybe some of us are feeling kind of sick today, and we're uh, starting to be afraid. Um, the danger we face is certainly real. The grief, the loss, the isolation, it's all real. And I'm not, I'm, I, the, I am not not—I'm—I not asking you not to, to, to deny your feelings. That would be the worst thing in the world. But what I would offer you is the chance to look at the resurrected Jesus and not grieve as those who have no hope, to not fear as those who have no hope, to not feel loss and separation. As those who have no hope, because we have the ultimate hope. Whatever we're experiencing, we do have the Holy Spirit to walk through it with us, but we ultimately have a destination. We don't know the way through the forest. It's the end of the trail, but the destination has been described for us. It is the new life with Christ, where there is no more sorrow, sickness, suffering, pain, or death. So I wanna encourage you to let your faith be the thing that modifies all these negative things we're experiencing and not go through them as those who have no hope, but to go through them in the light of the risen Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you uh, for the risen Christ. Lord, we we all experience difficult and painful things to be sure and right now as a as a as a society and sort of as a world really because the world is so different than the last time a real epidemic came through uh, we're trying to figure out how to not lose a bunch of people to a disease and whom to trust uh, and and how to respond and what's going to come out of it and it, we've kind of we've kind of hit an end of the trail sign in a way in our society and, and i don't want to uh, pray about that. But more than anything right now, Lord, I know that a lot of us are experiencing a lot of different unpleasant and uh, negative emotions that are are uh, reasonable. Uh, we have a reasonable fear because we don't know what's coming. And for a lot of us, uh, we have lost things. I know many of us grieve the relationships that have been not put on hold, but certainly have been distanced. Uh, Father, whatever we're experiencing, help us experience that uh, not as those who have no hope. Let us not grieve as those who have no hope. Let us not fear as those who have no hope. Let us not experience our loss as those who have no hope. And let us not make decisions about our lives and our future out of fear and grief and loss as those who have no hope. But let us Embrace what we're experiencing as true, but embrace it in the light of the risen Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.